The Beckers team is excited to be making our return to in-person events this fall. Join us in September for Beckers Hospital Review 6th Annual Health IT and Revenue Cycle Conference. We have opportunities to attend the in-person program in Chicago and also to join us virtually from the comfort of your own home. For information about registering and to find out if you are eligible to attend free of charge, reach out to us at registration at beckershealthcare.com. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Ash Goel. Dr. Goel has had a fascinating career, uh, both in, in military hospital, uh, in, in New Delhi, uh, in Cheyenne, and now at Bronson Healthcare. He's Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer. He's also both a doctor and an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School, so a great educational background as well. Dr. Gold, can you take a moment and introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. And uh, thank you for inviting me to this uh, wonderful opportunity. Uh, so as uh, you so kindly mentioned, I have led varied careers and lives, and I've enjoyed every bit of it. Um, I have uh, continued to practice medicine in the inpatient uh, care area as an adult hospitalist. And uh, that keeps me focused on what I'm here to do, which is to help the health of communities and help the patients that I serve every day. And I also enjoy my role as an executive leader in healthcare and uh, have been fortunate to be working for an organization that allows me to do that work both in my clinical and in my administrative duties and responsibilities. So thank you. What a magnificent career, truly magnificent. You've been in different parts of the globe. You've stayed every place you stayed for some significant period of time. You're not a, you're not a uh, I mean, you work hard, you stay where you're at, you've, you've added great value. Dr. Cole, what are the most interesting issues that you, what do you face today? What do you find the most interesting things that come across your desk? Yeah, I think the most interesting components of the work that I do are around process design and around integration. And what I mean by that is not about technology, but it is about how we help patients navigate through their care. Now, um, I, I, I attribute this sort of uh, challenge to the model of how healthcare is delivered. And almost as if we are thinking about navigating through the challenges of different episodes of care to how patients experience that journey is so disruptive to their personal individual stories that anything that we do to help that is something that is the challenge that healthcare systems can focus on improving on. And that care navigation is still a huge pain point in so many health systems. It's this mix of technology and labor issues of really helping patients steer through. And it's still a real challenge in, in the most elite systems, the community systems, sometimes better in the community systems than the most elite systems. And, and, and let me ask you a different question, Dr. Gold. You practiced at one point in India, at one point in the Middle East. Talk to us a little bit about the differences in systems or, or the similarities in systems from place to place, and some observations on, on 
on that. Right. Yeah, so I think uh, the most substantial difference that I would say uh, from my experiences in three different parts of the globe is around the dynamics of uh, how uh, patient expectations change from A to B to C. And what I mean by that is uh, the practice of medicine is so much more focused on uh, aspects of outcomes versus aspects of experiences versus how we pay for those services. So take, for example, what is happening in India now, which is probably in all news channels around the COVID surge that they're seeing. It's not uncommon for these things to have played out in the past. Now, granted, that was a long time ago, about 25, 30 years ago when I was practicing medicine in New Delhi. But uh, you know, working in a very large academic institution, we would see over and over again how people were struggling to find the basic services that they needed. And doctors and healthcare systems were struggling to be able to deliver those services. So basics were taking their time to get to where they needed to go. And at the same time, it was wonderful to still be able to practice medicine and help the people that needed it the most. Now, transplant that over to something that happens in the Middle East, where resource constraints are not a problem, but the gaps in culture are so huge that delivery of modern medicine and care for the patients was very hard to come across in a way that we are trained to do or akin to try and do. So making an impact was very different there. Then I practice, as you mentioned, medicine in uh, Cheyenne and other areas around the Rockies. Uh, even there, it is more rural than urban, and how expectations of medicine delivery were there was different than where it is where I'm at now, which is in Michigan. And what I would say is the same everywhere is this is the urge for all of us as um, healthcare providers to try to do our best to try and serve the patients the best way we can within the constraints of what we have led uh, to up to this point in careers. Um, so I'll stop and see if that raises more questions because I could probably go on on this soapbox for a long time. <laughs> no, 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 it's a fascinating subject. And that's why I ask you about it. India has a population of about a billion three and you mentioned the contrast between that and Bahrain of the shortage of resources versus having enough resources. As we in the United States, as we move towards 330 million people, which is still a quarter of what there is in India, but we see more and more shortages of doctors and nurses and so forth. Are there ways to bridge the gaps to provide the type of healthcare that's needed, whether in a country like India where it seems on certain days when there's a pandemic, almost insurmountable given the number of people that are being served versus the resources and the healthcare resources. 
And in a place like here, we've got an extrapolating problem, but not as dire as there. Are right. there ways to bridge these gaps? I mean, you serve as, I think, CIO as well. Are there ways to bridge some of these gaps, or is it just really an uphill battle no matter what we do? No, I think certainly there are ways to bridge this gap and uh, multiple ways to do so. And I think um, the way I see that approach changing for us is about rationalizing the care that we give. The one thing that I you know, clearly know to be different between practice of medicine and the U.S. versus other parts is around the approach to what is an expectation versus what is a medical necessity. And how we bridge that gap of resources is by providing for some principles of appropriateness of care and then building on those models of care in a way that it is open and transparent and matches patients' needs to the ability for our systems to be able to deliver that care. And it's almost uh, like a uh, like a demand and supply uh, equation that we have to match and balance out where we provide the services and how we fund those services. The, the, the payer models in healthcare in the U.S. are so skewed to reward a certain aspect of uh, uh, healthcare delivery that it does not uh, engender uh, preventative care and wellness care in the way that it could, and rather creates this constant churn and creates a constant expectation around us to do more and more. And changing that towards where less is more and is more effective is something that I believe can be done with the resources that we have and incentivizing both the health systems and the payers to go in that direction. which is part of the reason why I took the role that I am in right now, which is in information technology, because I believe the largest uh, gaps that we have had are around uh, flow of information and around process gaps, which I think technology can bridge and also help stretch the resources further if we can eliminate redundancies and if we can eliminate uh, duplication and allow for more efficient deployment of resources throughout the health systems. But you make a fascinating point, and, and as a, um, you know, all of us are immigrants here. We're, we're, we're second generation versus first generation, but what you've struck on something, you know, at least not our family is, what you've struck on something that's very, we're all immigrants, but we all have, once we're here for a generation or so, we very much come to this point of, you had mentioned the expectation versus need and the different things, and and we all know that as an American and the old stereotype being an ugly American, which of course I am, is, is the issue of like the expectation is 
I want it now. If I got a knee issue, I want it taken care of now. If I want a cortisone shot, I want it now. If I want whatever I want, I want it now. And that's the proliferation, the explosion literally of urgent care in this country and so forth because people want their care now when they want it. Uh, when people hear that for, you know, you know, my father's got to have prostate surgery and it's put off for three weeks. And, you know, we think, of course, oh, my God, all of a sudden we're in Canada where it's being put off. And we have to realize, no, no, if we was in Canada, it'd be six months. And this, this difference between expectation and what we desire, you know, versus need and how it's really needed when it's needed. And there's probably the, the truth on all this is probably somewhere in between. It doesn't have to be six to 12 months, but it probably doesn't have to be one week either or immediately like we want it. And we've grown to be accustomed to it if we want to rationalize care better. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree. And you bring up a fascinating uh, uh, sort of story in there from the Canadian experience. My parents live in Canada and they're in their 80s and uh, sort of their expectation of their own care is uh quite different and their experience of care is also quite different than what happens here in the US. Uh, some of it is maddeningly frustrating, some of it is uh, reasonable. And uh, I would turn that a little bit from about being uh, conditioned to expect something versus having an expectation of a certain outcome. And uh, what I'm trying to say there is that the incentives in our systems are designed to generate and to gratify a need sooner than it is perhaps even needed. And when that incentive comes into play, uh, we all as uh, humans will want to gravitate towards what satisfies our desire the most. So I, I don't think it is a change that needs to happen in individual people's expectations, but in how we have set the system to incentivize, uh, especially in the medical side of things, that cycle of continuous uh, efficient delivery of care versus continuous efficient delivery of revenue generating services that are good for keeping the things going. And that's the delinkage that I'm trying to portray as something that I've felt is very different here than say in uh, a third world country or even in a m different model like NHS or in Canada. Right, no, it's fascinating you mentioned that because you know, obviously, many of us as Americans, and I realize there's vast differences in care based on, you know, it, it, socioeconomic status, all kinds of issues that are very unfair. But you mentioned this expectation, the difference in expectations between here versus Canada, where most of us think, oh, my goodness, if we had to wait like we had to wait in Canada or even maybe England, we think that's horrible. And then you contrast it to really what you, what you think of as um, less sophisticated countries in terms of healthcare, where right. the resources are so scarce mm. and, and, and we can't even bring ourselves to imagine how mm. challenging that is versus mm. what we're so accustomed to here and so used to here. And, and it's it, a fascinating difference. And you've got this magnificent perspective. 
having grown up in India and and then practiced in the Middle East, I, I, or maybe you didn't grow up in India, but practiced in India for a long time, and then then in Bahrain and then here, uh, and there must be some distinctions now. People have expectations between Cheyenne and Michigan, but I take it not as significant differences in expectations as they have between here and Bahrain or India. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That is indeed so. The uh, and it also is somewhat culturally embedded uh, in our own. Uh, you know experiences as we grow up as you mentioned and uh, this this is going to sound a little bit more philosophical than it needs to uh, i believe uh, this is related to the age of a, a culture the age of a uh, um, civilization and uh, when you think about the longevity of how long people have been living in one place versus another in America in general is a, at least in its current form, a young nation. And that uh, defines the newness of what it expects itself to do and how people expect to drive a certain sense of how we as a society look towards certain outcomes versus say what happens in uh, a, a country like India or a country like uh, China or uh, Bahrain for that matter. Because they're uh, the- What's your point? Your point here I think is absolutely fascinating. If if there's been, I mean, you've got this, you know, in, in these very highly populated countries, I'll talk about China and India for a moment, you know, and China went through the different, you know, when I was growing up, it was going to get one child, different things to try and combat mm-hmm. population growth. Now they have, now they, they actually want people to have babies again because they've got a challenge with the younger generation, but it's a fascinating to go back and forth on this. But your point is, if you're living in these highly populated areas or very rural areas, you've been having trouble accessing healthcare for thousands of years as a community. Mm-hmm. And so, the expectation is not what it is. It's sort of like it's it's bad and it's challenging, but you've become accustomed to it in some ways. Whereas in a younger country, we expect everything here for us when we want it. I mean, I, I don't I don't know if I'm paraphrasing correctly your the perspective or or if I'm missing that. No, I think you are uh, paraphrasing that correctly. You know what I would add as a, a nuance to that uh, is that. Uh, the culture gets embedded more deeply in the society and that creates a certain expectations around constrained resources that do not appear as uh, problematic to the people who have those lived experiences versus where that is not the situation here uh, in the US. Uh, because as I said earlier, we are a young country and we are still trying to figure out what that means for us. Uh, so, uh, you know, the struggle for a certain number of uh, constrained resources, whether it is because of resource constraints or because of population growth, that hasn't been going on for a few decades. This has been going on for centuries in places like India and in China and other places. So that's, it's, Fascinating to see how that is going to evolve because indeed, you know, there is almost a dichotomy of the haves and the have-nots in those cultures where 
the haves have essentially the same level of expectation as perhaps uh, uh, we would have uh, generally here in the U.S. And uh, and that's creating more inequities, and that's created more uh, frustrations there than it has uh, solved uh, problems there for them. No, oh, 100%. So it's very interesting because you have these, these caste systems in some places, and, mm-hmm. and, and here it, it's very different than some of those places where the caste system in certain places people expect, like we all expect here, um, and others that don't expect, expect that they're going to be waiting for a long time, and they've been feeling that way for thousands of years. And, and there's periodically, obviously, people get very upset about that, but right. there is sort of a learned to it that's not very healthy but reality correct correct yeah uh, you take that to africa and it's the same story there about four years ago i was down there working with some friends of mine and expectations around health care are so different uh, where even travel 15 20 miles is very hard uh, leave alone whether when you get to that place you have any uh, trained professional that can give you the kind of care you need. And as I would say, a simple penicillin goes a long way in rural Africa or rural India. And uh, I don't know when was the last time I prescribed penicillin to anybody here in the U.S. Right. But there it's still a godsend. Yeah. And, and here we're three generations past it in terms of drugs and so forth. Correct. Correct. It's just fascinating. Dr. Go, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the perspective and so forth. It, it, the other thing that we've learned, obviously, this last year is that, you know, I, I remember when the coronavirus first emerged in China, and, and we didn't really understand how it would impact us here. At least many of us did not. I did not. Mm-hmm. And what we do realize now is how much more connected we are as a world. So we, we could watch the challenges in India with great, great concern, but also realize that it's all of our problem, really. I mean, it's all of our problems we're concerned about other human beings. And it's also all of our problems because if things go bad enough with the virus, it mutates into different forms and it comes back around the world and keeps coming around the world. So it's really incumbent on all of us to work on getting the entire world vaccinated. Right. Yeah, I would agree with you absolutely. You know, uh, you would, I and I was right there with you in terms of the expectations around this isolated virus in a city that 95% of the people that had never heard of, a city called Wuhan, China, to where, uh, at best, I thought that this would be, uh, you know, two months, three months worth of something that will pass through, and here we are. Uh, 14, 15 months into it and still battling this and indeed seeing wave after wave of challenges come at us. So so it is very true that regardless of the fact that, yes, we as humans have to uh, take care of the entire uh, um, population of the world, we certainly have to pay attention to it from whatever is in our span of control to contribute to the bigger bigger whole because we are some of many parts thank you very much such a girl what a pleasure to visit with you and hear your perspective 
Thank you very much for joining the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. My pleasure.